We are back here on Inside LAFC. I am Max. Thank you again for all your support. Before I get into anything, a reminder, please subscribe. Tell your friends. I got some big plans for this baby. I got some big plans to have some conversations. It hit me. It hit me like a fist onto what we can do. I, I obviously will talk a little bit about LAFC. We have a real cool guest, Kalen Carr, who works for uh, the league, and he has this great internet series, The Movement. Uh, it's a web series that has been visual. He now ha he, It's pivoting a little bit to an audio format, but even his library of stuff is amazing. So check it out. Former player, really good player uh, with the Chicago Fire and Houston Dynamo. We'll talk about his time with the Fire, which was a little bit post-Bob Bradley. He was a teammate of John Thorrington. We'll get into that and all the stuff that he's doing now. And I, I welcome you to listen because he is a smart guy, knows his stuff, and he, 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 he passes on his his takes, for lack of a better word, uh, with just a, a wonderful tenderness about him. He's just a good dude. Real quickly, I always say that, and it's never that quick. Actually, it was last time. Last week, it was really quick. Getting ready for a Friday game at the Sounders. We played them on August the 30th, so playing them back at their place just about three weeks later. Really was one-way traffic in that first half for the Sounders after they got that early goal for Raul Rui Diaz. Different story here, and we'll go over through some topics for LAFC heading into that. LAFC beating the Portland Timbers 4-2 at Bank of California Stadium on Sunday night. It was a cathartic win because they couldn't score goals the last two despite the efforts. I was listening to a lot of people. You know, people, folks were getting nervous, uh, hitting a panic. LAFC can't score. Are they ever going to score another goal? And I remember listening to Steve Clark. So ahead of the Portland game, you get a chance to listen to their virtual media. And Steve Clark, the goalkeeper, talked about it. And someone asked him that question, like, what's wrong with LAFC? They, they can't score goals. I mean, is this a different team? And then his response was, well, I just watched the tape on LAFC. That doesn't look like a team that's struggling offensively. All I see them do is create chances. Are they converting chances? No. But in any sport, if you create chances and you keep creating chances, eventually you're going to convert them. Call it the law of averages. Eventually a, a ball that was stopped by a goalkeeper or a post or a sliding defender is not going to be stopped by a goalkeeper, a post, or a sliding defender. The LAFC offense is going to be fine. Defensively, progress even though they let uh, a couple goals, one real cheapy one at the end, which they got to be frust frustrated. The, the, the guys will be able to work this out. I think a big part is the emergence of Andy Nahar. And if he could become an everyday right back, he's going to help whoever plays centrally, which could be Tristan Blackman or Dejan Jakovic. The set piece defending was better against Portland. At first, it was the first set piece that was coming in that was causing problems. LAFC remedied that. Then it was the second ball that was causing problems. We saw that against Royal Salt Lake. And it looked like LAFC was able to fix that as well. I'll add this. Set pieces for LAFC on the offensive end are becoming scary for opponents. With Brian Rodriguez mostly leading that way from the corners, it is a threat most of the time. And we saw the Mark Anthony K goal, case in point. Brian Rodriguez, by the way, now leads the team in assists. I think he has six. I should have checked that before I did the podcast, but I believe that's the case. Coming along. All these guys are coming along. And here's a prediction. 
The Portland game, Sifu tried a shot from 70 yards out, and it didn't miss by much. Whether it's Seattle or whether it's Vancouver next week, one of the next three games, Sifu is going to hit a ball from outside the area, 20 yards outside the 18, maybe further than 20 yards. He's been, you can see him working on that. And I'll, I'll tell you why it's so important, because the minute you can hit that ball from out there, that defense has to come out. The first time he scores a goal from there, and he, the defense may even know that. That's probably in the game plan for defenders. This guy can hit it from there. I can't sit here in front of my goalkeeper and defend. I got to come out. So a lot of positive things. I want to congratulate Latif Blessing for his 100th appearance. Latif Blessing is a very cerebral player. Still working on learning English. And I think people say this guy is, you look at Latif and you say he's still adjusting to American life. But the guy, no, he's, he's there and he knows this game. How do I know that? Very few players, very few players can seamlessly go from playing right back to central mid to a winger, which he did against Port. He played at all three levels of the LAFC formation. Also Hispanic Heritage Month, month. it's a big month for us Hispanics and everyone so we can uh, educate everyone and, and celebrate uh, all the incredible things that come for being Hispanic. I think we, we shouldn't have a Hispanic Heritage Month, we should have Hispanic Heritage Year. And uh, share those stories really quickly. Edward Tuesta coming back, looked good in 15 minutes, helped out on the goal for Danny Masofsky, who, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my chips in on Masofsky, man. Moose, that guy puts his head down. All he sees is that goal. He's like, ooh, I'm scoring, which is what you want from a guy at that position, especially in this case where he got behind uh, a defense. So all in all, a really good win, and now they got to keep it going, making sure they stay above that playoff line you know if you get a couple wins in these next three then that playoff line will be well in the distance they won't be able to see it and make sure you join us 6 30 at youtube tv for the pregame show against the seattle sounders we appreciate all of that i also want to give a shout out to mark rogandino and bernard warrell and our entire crew ulysses roman bernard had an idea he's our producer he's amazing about getting Mark into the crowd and sitting in the seats and sharing the stories of those seats. Because every seat represents a fan. And during our broadcast, he sat in there and told the story of the fan and everything that came about, what their game day experience was like. I haven't seen it anywhere. And I'm telling you this now, other MLS clubs, other teams in other leagues are gonna do the same thing. Because I think so often when we do these sports, where there are no supporters or fans in the crowd in the stadium. You do your best to hide the seats for good reason. You want to focus on the field, but the more games we play, I realize you can't. If MLS keeps playing and we don't allow fans into the game at some point, it's, it's not going to work. So the conduit is to look at those seats as if there's someone in there and think of the people that are in there. And that's how I'm retraining my head for these broadcasts. And it was really thanks to Bernard and Mark for what they were able to do. So I appreciate that. And our home games will continue to do that 
fantastic storytelling. Kalen Carr, when we return, this is Inside LAFC. Thank you for your support. Welcome back here to Inside LAFC. Really happy to be enjoyed by one of the good guys. No, he's actually, a, he's really, a, he's a bit of a rascal, quite frankly. Kalen Carr, <laughs> who is, in, is a producer. Uh, he has a web series called The Movement. He, you see him everywhere. He is an analyst also with a digital team over at MLS Soccer. What's going on, pal? Hey, good to have you. I, I thought you. When you paused for a second on one of the good guys, I was like, uh-oh, where's this going here? What, 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 what have I done? I swear I, I see Max all the time. I text him back. I mean, we're good buddies, but right. well, uh, no, it's good, good to be here. You know what I thought about is that I'm always viewed as one of the good guys, and I go, I want to be one of like the, the villains for a while because you're the nicest guy. <laughs> I'm the nicest guy. People like being around us because yeah. we're nice. We, we, we give good energy. So maybe one time he's like, no, I want to be that. I want to be the, you know. Well, that, that's what, that's what men's league is for. That's, <laughs> that's why I still play men's league. It's, it's every, you know, everyone's like, ah, oh, he's really nice. And then you, you take out some of your frustrations in, uh, on, you know, men's league referees, which is make the worst place to do it. Uh, but, I, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to stop. It's hard to quit. <laughs> I remember you as a player. You would mix it up a fair bit. I mean, you had a great career. You would, and that's due in part by, get, you know, giving no quarter, taking no quarter. Well, just trying to find my way onto the pitch, really, and kind of fighting along the teammates. And a lot of the, the clubs I played for, the Dynamo, most notably, but even back to my old uh, fire days early on, I mean, the personality, if you wanted to play on those teams or find your way into the, to the side, it was Chris Armas, CJ Brown, Jim Curtin, uh, Diego Gutierrez. Uh, like, there was a tough-minded group that was going to be uh, – that, you know, a lot of that kind of stemmed from the mentality that Bob had established from the beginning of that club. Um, so I, I think I kind of benefited from having some pretty good role models earlier and learning how to, how to do it the right way. I should have been better prepared, but you weren't there for the Bob era, but you were there with no. a lot of these players, like, you know, like you mentioned, Gutierrez, Armas, that were there yep. after. And I, I mean, what, what was that culture like? I mean, I wasn't expecting to ask that question, but I just realized now that Chicago fire connection, but what was that culture like and how, how is that something that you think still works here in 2020? Well, it's funny because I'll, I'll listen to uh, Bob's press conferences or the way he talks about his team. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of it echoes things that I heard either from um, Dave Sarakin, who was the coach when I first came in, or, or Dennis Hamlet, um, who was also the coach there, or, or some of those players that I mentioned as far as um, being honest, um, being responsible, playing, playing you know, playing the right way. Um, what are we about? Like, what do we believe in? Some of those, some of those same phrases and, and philosophies definitely were established and ingrained into that Chicago fire club um, from the beginning and they had won titles. So that kind of, I mean, they had it up on the locker room tradition, honor, passion um, with the fire, which, you know, sadly kind of seemed to slip away at a certain point, but I, I was lucky when I got there in 2006, a lot of those same tenets of the club were, were still in, um, still in effect and, and largely by a lot of the players that have now gone on to become um, managers in MLS as well. I'll, I'll move on in a second, but do you think, I mean, cause I, I think about the fire and I think about other clubs like the dynamos going through something, which is another one of your former teams and with expansion coming in and these clubs with a, a, a clean slate have been able to build in a vision where they've seen how others have succeeded, where others have failed, which isn't really fair to those original clubs who are, a lot of them are trying to rebrand it like the fire. What do you think um, is the right way to do that? 
And I mean, it's interesting. Again, I didn't think about that until I started talking to you, but the two clubs are right in the crosshairs of how do we get fans to come back? How do we get uh, a success on the field already with that history and hitting like a reset button? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, and it, it's just, it's hard to have that longevity, whether it's on the pitch as far as performance or off the field or with all the different factors that happen in, in business. And um, I was just thinking, Max, that another guy who was on those fire teams, John Thornton, um, who's a great friend of mine. And I mean, he had a lot of experience going to an expansion club as a player where he went to uh, Vancouver and seeing what that was going to be like. And then went to DC United, a club with a lot of history, played for the fire. He was one of the guys that was definitely kind of holding us accountable and, and making sure that some of those values or culture, cultural parts were a big part of it. So it's been cool to see even like from the beginning, I came out and visited LA um, as I tend to do. And John took me to a U12 soccer, uh, like indoor futsal team, I think over at the, I think base LA maybe or somewhere. It was right downtown. And it was before Carlos Vela was signed, before anybody like that. And they were wearing like kind of like, you know, I don't know, some Adidas LAFC gear. And I was like, this is the first LAFC team, um, which was really cool to see. And now I'm sure some of those guys are probably trickling their way up to the first team through the academy. But um, I think it does start at the ground level as far as how you establish a culture. And um, I've, I've seen that happen with LAFC, just um, with the fans, the support there, with the 32-52 and otherwise. And um, but it's something that you have to do. It's hard to maintain and you have to be diligent. You have to put time, effort, yeah. resources, relationships. So it's been, it's been cool to see. And to other clubs, hey, maybe there's still a way to find it back. And I, I hope that happens for Chicago. Going back downtown, I think will be good for them. I think Chicago and Houston, the potential's massive. And when you mentioned those two cities, they're two of the five largest cities in our country. So obviously there is a lot to, to support too. I wanted to ask you about John. When you were playing with him, did you ever see that this was his path? Because when I talked to him, he was like, yeah, I was taking business school and I was going for a law degree or whatever it was. And, and this was something that was, this was his vision as a player. He goes, I want to be a general manager. I want to be involved in all these affairs. Well, I would say to begin with, John and I did not get along uh, on the pitch. It was because he is, I don't know if he plays in any of the staff matches. I think he does out there. Yes, but he's like, <laughs> they're notorious. You watch him. I mean, one of the fittest guys ever, technical, he has the pedigree, had played for a club like Manchester United at a young age and, and played in Europe for quite a number of years before he came back to MLS. But we just went at it in training and he would kick me. I would kick him back. We get into arguments and I was like, man, I hate this guy. Like what's up with John Thornton. And then, uh, as it was really about respect though. And as time, uh, went on, we became really good friends and carpool mates to go out to, um, training every day. But yeah, he was in business school while you were playing and, and you can, understand because you're around it for so long that's pretty rare to see a guy who is thinking ahead thinking big like that while he's playing um then had experience on the union side so so really kind of um was a player rep and understood that side of it so he is a he's a special guy he's he's one of my favorite people in uh in football um in the u.s and uh and just a great friend um great player and, uh, and a competitor. I'm not forgetting that part. <laughs> I actually texted that. him the other we day. I went on a run and I, I went on a run. We used to, we used to duke it out in as for fitness exams and all that. 
And I, I had a flash of like chasing him down the other day. I texted him and be like, man, it's, I'm still hardwired. Something's wrong with me, but uh, it's all respect. Caitlin, that's a beautiful story. And it's got a, it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. I think I'm going to talk to the folks here. I think you and John should have a, like a face-to-face <laughs> content play, which would be really cool to see how that's emerged. Yeah. And you guys have both been very successful in your se- separate past. I'm telling you, man, you are going to be a big name in our media circles. You just keep doing what you're doing. It's been awesome to see it. I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit. Just a quick thought, and you touched on uh, what LAFC has done. Across the board, good on the field, good reaching out to the supporters, uh, obviously the, the, the merchandise, the attire, or the branding is the best way to put it. What are the things, the elements that you have seen that have made this, in, from your perspective, living in New York, from a league perspective, why has it been so good? Oh, it's, it's, I don't think you can just do one thing right. Like if you just get the so cool hats me, and me, the branding. several. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't mean so much. Um, and if you got the you know, they've done everything right. Um, And I think part of it is because the ownership group has, um, has put a lot into it. And then I think the other part to it for me is just trusting, trusting people. And I I just think that for any organization or any team to trust the people around you and to give them real ownership and um, to say, Hey, you're running this max, you do the content, like, you're, you're, you are an expert in your field. Like that is, everyone knows that you've done it at the highest level in this country and for a a long time and like take that and drive us forward. And I think when you really trust, when you hire the right people and you trust them and you let them say what they want to say and you support that, that's, that can take you a long way. So I I think, you know, from all the people I've met within the club, um, every, every single person um, to a man, woman, um, whatever is a, um, is, is a great person and somebody that clearly cares about the sport and the, the sport growing so and the city so that part has been been really cool to see you almost sound like you work for lafc with that answer that was spectacular <laughs> and, and yeah. even, even sneaking in and, and when you snuck in at the very end and the city of course because that is a big part you gotta <laughs> yeah. have those connections well i'm from the bay be- area so you know that it, i'm not supposed to talk too too kind of, of oh, okay. uh, los angeles area now we're I, all I, californians like, it's true. Just for background, you went to University of California. Was it, I have friends who went there. It's at University of California. You can't call it Berkeley. Can you call it California Berkeley? Uh, I, I, I get it, corrected yeah. all the time. I have three really good friends. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I call it Cal or Berkeley. People Cal. confuse it. Yeah, e- e- either way. Yeah. And, uh, and usually the allegiance is there for, uh, in the Bay Area for Oakland because Oakland's right next door, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm more on the East Bay side. Then there's the, that's like the Raiders and the Warriors and uh, Cal. And then you get the other side, which is probably more San Francisco, Stanford. Your voice um, changed when you said to you, like, oh, those guys in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can see which side I stand. <laughs> Good man. Good man. You got to have those, uh, you got to have those East Bay roots. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep hitting you with some big picture questions and just, I mean, because you're so, you're, you're beautifully concise and accurate with your answers, but we all went through this crazy thing where the league and every sport in the country stopped and gradually came through beginning with MLS's back. Take me back a little bit to how your approach, the MLS office approach was to, to play, to have your content plays. Cause obviously I, I watched along and it was very important to have those, the 
it, not only with COVID to have those, that messaging across about being safe and going the protocols. And then when we went through massive social changes, uh, I know a lot of people in MLS were outspoken and that takes a lot of courage in many times when, when that is happening. So how was, what did you go through when it had to be about other things other than sports? Well, Look, I, I, the, the, the sport part was, I think, hard on everybody um, because in sort of it's the, been the sort of the one constant in our lives where things could go wrong in your personal life and um, in the world in general, but she would have sports and to carry you through and, and soccer specifically. And so when that left, that was a, a tough blow. I would say silver linings if you're looking for them. For from the content side, we got to dig deep into the archive and play a lot of old matches. And I think for a young league, a, a still a very young league, and for young fans especially, uh, and, and young fans of new clubs, um, because we've been expanding so much, understanding some of that history, watching some of the early DC United matches, watching those revolution games, uh, even back to back um, with the Dynamo and MLS Cup champions, I mean, even recent history, going back to, um, I don't know, how to see how good the 2012 or uh, 2011 LA Galaxy teams were, um, mostly at my expense. Yes, I was about um, to say, to, you, you had the game. You had the, the game. <laughs> well, those were not fun. I, ha I had to stream my own losses in MLS Cup Finals, but, <laughs> you know, that's how committed I am to my job. You had the game with <laughs> yeah. the goal in 2012. You, you put the Dynamo in front. I was at the stadium, then the – was it the StubHub Center or is it still the home? And then uh, the Galaxy came back. Second this half. close, yeah. this close. You've been MVP. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd be, a, I'd be an LAFC hero if I could have uh, stopped the Galaxy from winning a title. <laughs> but yeah, play. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, so that that part was tough. And then I, I just think the other part around as we've looked to kind of evolve, and there was this big idea with the um, Orlando tournament. Um, but then a big part of it. Uh, around that was also the formation of Black Players for Change and then the discussion of how soccer and social justice um, intersect and meet. And that's a conversation that I've been partaking in for a while and have tried to really elevate some of the voices of players, of former teammates and friends um, and fans around MLS. And so that part to me when that became moved to the forefront was something that um, I was actually really excited about seeing because it, I think some of these conversations had been happening for a long time more in you know locker rooms or quiet corners or conversations but maybe not as public as they are now so to see that kind of step forward and, and to give all the credit to the players who have uh, who have been at the forefront of that pushing it forward and making sure that it's at the forefront um, it's been great for to see media across the board um, really try and step up and, and support. I spoke to Marisa Du, who joined uh, us for a couple LAFC broadcasts, and we asked him about that. And his reaction was, obviously, what you said, being very proud of that it's a, 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 a strong but small group that's growing from Black Players for Change that needs all the players under that umbrella to really make an impact, and they're, and they're doing that. But he said... I wish we did more in our players. And, and, and I, I said, look, Maurice, it, it, it doesn't really happen that way unless you have that, that spark. And the spark happened with George Floyd and then it continued with Jacob Blake. When, when you think about and th this stuff was happening, th these atrocities were happening, obviously, when you were a player, when we were all growing up in the 90s and the 2000s. 
what does it say about these players uh, across board that they, they grab this moment? And how much, what, what don't we know about what it takes for them to grab a moment like this? I, I think it speaks to the moment in the world that we're in and just the urgency that is upon us to, to really try and right a lot of these wrongs that, that have been here for a long time. But I also, I also think it points to the importance of collective action. And it's, we have seen people step forward, whether it's Colin Kaepernick or Megan Rapino. Um, and others who have taken a stand on their own at times and suffered greatly for it um, in a lot of cases. But I think when you step forward together, the way we've seen um, the players organize, it, it, makes you a, it makes you a much stronger voice. And I think that's maybe been the biggest shift or difference where we saw the MLS players of all races um, standing together in the moment where they decided not to play the matches. And that was alongside the WNBA and the NBA together. So that part has been really good because it's hard doing it on, on your own. I remember, uh, Max, when I was playing for Houston, there was a, um, the shooting at Sandy Hook. And yeah. I, um, we hosted some first responders because um, our team president, Chris Kennedy is from that area. And so we hosted some first responders who came to Houston. They came to a match, we met them. But um, like a week later, there was an NRA conference in Houston. And I went by myself after training because I wanted to see if there was a protest or to participate myself. And there was nobody there. It was, uh, it was you know, oh it's Houston. And in some cases, I, I, I was naive because I'm from Berkeley and I was thinking, this has just happened and we should go out and try and support and it, it didn't happen, but even still, I didn't feel the courage to go to social media about it. I didn't feel the courage to step up about it. And now when you see players like Alejandro Bedoya talking about gun violence or just players in general um, speaking up on issues that affect everyone, but also you know, our communities. And I think that's, uh, that progress is really cool and it, and it makes it so much easier for the next generation of players who come into Major League Soccer to feel that they have a voice and they can speak up or they're expected to, or they can stand alongside the people in front of them that are already doing it. That's amazing. And particularly what you did and our Sandy hook, obviously I was, uh, that was in Newtown, Connecticut. I was in West Hartford, Connecticut. I had a kid in school who I must've been five or six and that hits home to every parent and anyone. And to see that carry on. And, and, and I know when I, I mentioned Maurice, players back then obviously want to do something, but there was a moment here. Was it the collective, of players where they kind of all looked at each other and said, this is, this is the moment. Yeah. That's from what I've heard. And we have a, a this might be a good opportunity, but we, we have a podcast coming out um, that show I host called the movement. And we moved into audio form because of the time and the inability to travel at the time. And um, Ray Gaddis hit me up on Instagram um, who I've kind of become friends with over the years. And he was like, Hey, I'm back in Indianapolis. I'm going to protest. Can we link up um, and maybe try and figure out a way to get this story out? And so I spoke to Ray. Um, we actually recorded an interview just over um, our computers because I couldn't actually get to Indianapolis. And then from there, I started talking to other players that were going to protest in their cities with Jeremy Abobasi in Portland, um, Ike Opara in Minneapolis, um, where you know he lives about a mile away from where George Floyd was killed, um, and players around MLS. And then it kind of ended up, you know, more, more murders happened where Ahmaud Arbery was killed. I was in Georgia. Um, so I met up with some Atlanta United fans at a protest and it kind of just continued from there. And we've been kind of following the story in, 
interviewing players and then re-interviewing players again. Um, and so it's kind of turned into a longer narrative of what this moment has been like and how it crosses over to soccer and the soccer community. Um, but I think it gives a little bit of background of just how much it affects um, uh, everyone, but especially these black players that are having to go in a pandemic to Orlando to play um, and then also have to think about how um, just the injustice that's happening, whether it's police brutality or, or just racism um, in sport or society. So um, I think it'll be a good listen for people and, and uh, an important one just to kind of understand a little bit of the perspective of why, because we so often see people taking a knee and either that being, um, I guess, I don't know how you would want to say it in a nice way, but basically um, translated wrong and saying that it's, it's, it means something else than what it does. And so they've been pretty clear about exactly what they're protesting and why. And so that's been, uh, that's something we tried to include in the piece. And the movement will be on MLS digital circles. Uh, so on the MLS uh, Twitter, social media handles, correct? Yep. And you can catch it um, on anywhere you catch any podcast. So Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, any any of the places you you listen to it, but yeah, you can um, yeah you can check it out. It's on our website. It'll be everywhere. So definitely oh, definitely would, plug that. <laughs> oh, for sure. But I, I, honestly, Kayla, when I got you, I wanted to talk mostly about that because what you're doing there is amazing. Not just in in social circles and in efforts to make change with specifically the the black players for change. But prior to that, what you've been doing with, with, with that is, you know, it's a touchstone for a lot of topics we haven't really discussed. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you that in a moment, but I, you know, when it, when it comes to the taking the knee and I, if, if I was, I would, I probably would want to re remain standing for the anthem, but I, I, the outrage for people who, when you see that, I, I it's just about having a conversation. And, say, and asking, and we saw it at the NFL this week, and some players stood, they had their hand on the shoulder, but instead of being outraged about taking a knee, having that conversation saying, why is it important for you to do that and educate yourself? And this is where that moment is because we could, the, taking, the taking the knee and the raising the fist and these gestures is a pathway for legitimate change. And then this, when we look towards that next step, it's like you've got to walk before you run. We want opportunities for, for young black athletes or young black Americans to be able to get these better chances where they did it. Is it safe to say this is the process we have to go? Communicate, uh, do these things where you can open the door for these kind of opportunities down the other end. Yeah. And look, I think if you look at the history of protest, and especially in sport, it has generally people have generally focused on the method of, of protest and, and the moment in which you do that. And look, I think if you want to protest uh, and take a knee or don't take a knee, either, however you want to do it, uh, that's, that's a personal decision or one you want to make collectively, however that goes. But where I think where the issue comes in is where you, you lose sight of what the actual message is right, and right. what people are protesting to begin with. And I think in some ways that misdirection it can be, uh, intentional because they don't want to focus on the deeper lying issues that are um, yeah. that the person is speaking at and so that's the part where I think it's important to say okay I'm, I'm not even really taking part in some of these conversations around whether to do this or do that 
it, it, let's focus on the actual issues and what people really are, are talking about. And, and I think that's kind of a, a, a way that at least I've started to listen to the conversations. And then, um, yeah, I don't know, you, you learn a little bit more about the reasons why and there's, there's a lot of them. Um, and so going back, I mean, I, I look back on the Philadelphia Union and when they changed the names on the, on the back of their shirt. And I didn't know a lot of the stories of those individual people um, who were killed. And I, I, afterwards, I looked up some of the stories and you hear more and more about why, um, why this team decided to do this together. Um, so in some ways that, that wasn't just like a demonstration, it was like, a, like an education as well. There's, there's that part of it. And I think that's the, the right way to, that's a much more productive way to respond to seeing something that might shock you or make you feel uncomfortable is to actually try and do a little bit of research and learn about it as opposed to say, oh, I didn't like the way that made me felt, made me feel, or I, I can't support that. I'm telling you, Kayla, man, you, uh, you have a way with words that, and it's like, I, I think about that. It's like just digging your feet and say, no, that's not how I feel. And we have these incredible things between our ears called a brain, which even at my old age still has so much room to soak in this information and data and listen and recalibrate how you think about things. And I, I it's easy to go about doing the things you do. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not a black man in this country. I don't know what, what, what that entails because, you know, I've heard of these stories and it was incredible when I heard Robbie Earl and all the moments and you know, it's happening, but I, I walk down the street, you hear Robbie Earl goes, man, you sit there and you hear a snicker from somebody and you go, Oh, what is this? What's this black man doing here? Is, is he in the wrong part of town? And I'm like, Oh my God. It's like all that you have to absorb because it's unfortunately the day to day with uh, with what yeah. people have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, my my, my story is is uh, is a different one in the sense of like my I think I told you before, but my dad is Aboriginal Australian, um, and my mom is white, but I grew up in Berkeley, and so having this kind of uh, mixed identity and being. Um, it's kind of a strange story. They met in East Africa. Both of them were working there. And then I ended up in Berkeley. Um, but it was a, a very diverse area, um, a good place to grow up. And, but yeah, I mean, you face racism throughout your life. And, and then I also have a lot of advantages in some ways because my mom is white and because um, like I'm, I'm fair skinned or my hair is a certain way. And um, that has given me some benefits at times. So um, but it's, it's, it's shocking how uh, much symmetry there is to a lot of the player stories and people in, in MLS where it's kind of a known, a known thing where when you drive home during the off season, sometimes you're, you're going to get pulled over. Mm. And like, I just, there, there were so many stories from interviewing these guys that you would hear these stories were like, yeah, I mean, you know how it is. This is, this is just wow. how it goes. And there were times I didn't even really remember like, uh, Leonard Griffin, who played for the Galaxy and, and Chicago Fire with me, we drove back one year and got pulled over in, in Oklahoma and we got like separated. I got put in a, in a cop car and then he was left and they were like separating us to talk to us in different, different places. And then eventually I got written up and let off and get, got a ticket, but it was for failing to exit the freeway with a, using a turn signal. Like who uses a turn signal to go off the freeway? Um, and so it's like, but at the time it was just like, oh man, like that was weird. But now you talk to, I talked to Leonard again. We're like, do you, and do you remember that when that happened? And um, 
for, for most people and for a lot of people, the outcomes can be a lot worse. And I think in some ways I've, I've, I've been able to be privileged. And then when you mention, oh, I play for the, we played for Chicago Fire, we're driving back to California, then it's, then it's okay, um, at least in this case. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I think um, is, is good to reflect on and, and then also to take next steps and say like, all right, how do we take this information or how we feel about it or how it makes me feel and how do we actually make steps forward? And I think the BPC guys are doing a good job of leading the way with that. And then um, it's, it's up to us to just kind of follow along and, and, uh, and try and support. I have a couple friends who are, are sheriffs in Los Angeles and, you know, I talk to them about this too. And, and I say, what, what, what and it, I know that's a tough job and I, I know about how things can escalate and pulling someone over and they realize that like, well, we've got to be better at not sweating these details not profiling people, just give people to the benefit of the doubt. He goes, but that doesn't filter out to the whole police departments, the sheriff departments, but it's, it's, they need to be involved in the conversation. I know many of them are, I can't speak on all of them, but, and it's what you said about being in a very tolerant and accepting place like Berkeley and Mar our Mark Anthony Kay had a similar situation. Toronto is a place where everyone's accepted and it's a big melting pot. And then he goes to Louisville, Kentucky, which is very different. It's, it's the South and Los Angeles, which is not the South, but has had a history of rach, racial, uh, 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 racial situations, which uh, have blown into real big dangerous situations. And he's seen it. And that, that's etched on this, this, this city's history. That perspective is really important too because you can see it. And uh, I mean, all this, all this information put together is invaluable. And I hope everyone's voice is heard at the end. And I think that's a, a big step towards going. It is the, the only step I think to getting to the, to where we want to get to. Yeah. No, no easy solve for this. No easy right? solve, but, it, it's, we, it's, but we do know. Yeah. And, and to, and I think it, it, it does a disservice to, to try and fix it right away. Like it, it's just one step after, yeah. uh, in front of the next. And that, and then I think the other key like we talked about is collective and, and alluding to what you're talking about is just to get everybody involved in, in trying to make, uh, make things better for, for everyone. I, I want to mention on the movement as well, because I think this is changing, doing a little pivot here, but when you've, you've done past episodes, I've really enjoyed them where you uh, look at the culture of soccer, which is so cool and interesting. I think we've presented soccer in a way in this country where it's pretty straightforward and, uh, we, we haven't shown the, the full spectrum of supporters and colors and fashion and everything that it comes with. And when you look at it, it's, a, it's, it's the coolest sport out there uh, when you think everything. And, you know, I know, you know the NBA and basketball has done a great job of doing that. But, you know, soccer, I, it, people kind of look, oh, it's like you, there's that soccer nerd and all that. But it's like what you've done with that is really shown, you know, it, it's, it, it at its core and how cool it is, again, with Fashion being a big part, I, I keep, when you, when you look at these stories that need to be told, and again, I bring them up because I think there's a dollar sign attached to it because this is how the sport branches out to the masses. What are some of the things you've seen that, have, uh, that we have not discovered that we need to kind of push forward when we present this sport to somebody who is looking for a new sport to get into? 
I think it's happening. I think LAFC is actually a really good example of that. And I think Oakland Roots is another really good example of that. And I think we're starting to see more and more of these clubs um, kind of putting forward that image that will resonate with people um, to say like, hey, yeah, this is cool. Um, I want to be part of that. Yeah, this isn't your like minivan and orange slice version, which <laughs> no disrespect say. because I mean I lo- I love minivans and orange slices. I've spent you know most of my life in them. Uh, thank you to all the moms out there and dads. Um, but yeah, I mean um, I-, I think there is a new-, a new future that's happening, and a lot of it was stuff that I learned in locker room because the teams are so diverse. And so you have players from all like Boniac Garcia from Honduras to the locker to the left of me and Luis Camargo is Brazilian to the right. So we're speaking Spanish, Portuguese, Matt Kanji is Muslim and fasting and I'm on the road with him. So trying to understand that. And I mean, if you can understand each other and, and make it work, it will make you a better team. And the LAFC piece um, of the movement where we, I sat with Mohamed El Munir and talked and, and um, you know, I mean, just talking about the way that the sports science and nutritionists were helping him and that Bob and his experience in Egypt, understanding why he's fasting um, and then having the support of Latif and, and other players on the team and, and players that aren't Muslim as well, knowing a little bit of what he's going through or what that time is like for him. It makes LAFC a better team. And so I think understanding um, each other on the field really helps. And then I think for fans to get a chance to understand what these guys are like, um, and uh, and what their lives are like off the field is is only going to br- draw more people in. And then you show up and you're like, oh man, thirty two fifty two, that's wild back there. Yeah. Like, what's up with that? I either want to jump in there or maybe I'll sit up on the sky deck and check it out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was at. <laughs> that's what, that's what, that's my decision process too. I I love to watch it. I've been in it once and it was uh, yeah. it took it out of me. Which more respect to those folks than the thirty two fifty two. <laughs> who do it you know it was it's funny you bring that up because uh, you know the muslim player we never heard that story and i'm here with lafc and we had like three maybe four players who yeah. were observing ramadan and i could only think about how not being the only one to do it helped them have someone to bounce things off of how is it going for you to have someone going through the same process is is in, is incredible i say the same thing when we signed See, Jose Cifuentes, a young Ecuadorian guy who is lost. He goes, I don't, who can I relate to? And oh, we have this other Ecuadorian guy that you could do that. Those things yeah. must, I, I, I can't relate it accurately, but it must be incredible to have someone in the same shoes as you. Yeah. Well, and and mo- that wasn't always said, the case. No. And, and Mo said it. I mean, I think having the support of his team, but then, but also the club, because I think he, he mentioned when he was in Serbia, I believe that he, kind of had to hide the fact that he was fasting because he didn't know if he would get minutes or wow. if that was going to limit him. Can, can, so, can you blame him? Can, you can't blame him. I mean, no. yeah. And so the idea that you would have to hide your faith um, or, or how you you're choose to practice it um, is, uh, I, I feel like that's something people can uni- universally, whatever faith you come from, you should, you should be against that. You know, you shouldn't have to hide who you are. And so I, th- I think um, having the support of the club um, and, and, the you know, the resources around it and the understanding of it, that, that was really impressive to me. So I, I think more and more stuff, I hope more clubs can kind of follow that lead. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, but it, that goes for anything. You're right. It's, it's understanding where people come from, what they might be facing. And I think that will go a long way to helping, uh, performance actually on, on the pitch. 
and, and getting back to educating yourself when I, I, I wanted to learn the inner workings of Ramadan. So I read up on about it. And if, listen, if you're, whether you're Catholic or Jewish or agnostic, if you see what someone does for their faith in this nature, all you can do is respect that person because it's a sacrifice and it's them getting closer to God. And I think that's what so many people want in their day to day. So hats off for uh, bringing that to light, my friend. And thank you. Yeah. And just in closing, it's, I remember growing up, not growing up, but I remember covering MLS and you'd see the parents bring their 12, 13, 14 year old kids, the orange slice kind of audience. <laughs> and now you have these 13, 14 year old kids going with their buddies to be part of it. Cause where it was cool to go to a party or something. Now this is, this is the, the alternative. You can do that. So everyone's yeah. welcome. Come on in. We'll bring it, bring that. that minivan right up to the <laughs> bank. Yeah. Borrow mom's minivan and bring it on in. You can have your orange slices and come on in and enjoy your evening. <laughs> yeah. Save me a seat. <laughs> hey, Kayla, man. Uh, tremendous to speak with you on a, a wide variety of topics ranging from John Thorrington in the training ground <laughs> to what you're doing with black players for change and, and bringing these stories to the surface, man. Tremendous work and look forward to chatting with you again pretty soon. Uh, always, always great to be on. Thanks for the opportunity and I hope to someday sneak back out to the West coast and, and hang out. Maybe we can, maybe we can grab a beer. That'd be fun. For sure. I know Susanna Collins is always bringing, I gotta get, I say, we'll build it under, under my, we'll build a, an MLS West Coast office. It's in the hey, works. Keep that going. Keep that okay. going. Yes. We'll keep it going. Susanna and I will, we'll, we'll load up the minivan and be out there tomorrow, next week. <laughs> Check out the movement, everyone. Uh, it's, it's tremendous work uh, with Kalen uh, producing and leading that. And, and check out MLS Digital all the time for all your latest on the games. It really keeps you up to speed. It's a real smart, educated approach and you'll get smarter, not the best thing about being an LAFC fan is learning about the teams you're going to play and who you might play. So check that out and subscribe to this podcast inside LAFC rate and review. And we'll talk to you very soon.